Hey, everybody. Welcome to another kind of libertarian, Mike Gay. What's up, baby? Listen, UFC 261. Mm. Three things come to mind. Thug Rose, that kick. Whoa. Unbelievable. The Usman win. Whoa. I was, I was rooting for my man, and I'm, I'm glad it went down like that. But honestly, the most, uh, and I'm embarrassed to say this, the one thing that I keep thinking about for UFC 261 is Cormier confronting Jake Paul. Did you see that? Oh my God, no. I, I, I know it happened, but I didn't even see it. I didn't even know it happened until I heard about it this yeah. morning. So no, you've got to tell me. I don't know. Listen, listen. I saw it. Dude, I don't think, just watching it, it was like a tiger approaching a kitten. You know, it was like, dude, I don't think Jake Paul realized how much danger he was in. I mean, he's face to face with DC. DC has not been Askren. You know what I mean? Right. It's like, I think it was almost like a metaphor for society today. You know, like people not being fully aware of certain dangers they face and completely trivializing the risk that comes with mocking real danger, or at least not taking it seriously. Do, do you know what I'm saying? Oh, dude, I, I, t I totally get it. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Okay. So to give you an example, I was thinking about this. If you look at the, all these police shootings of black men in this country. So Joe Biden is talking about police reform and criminal justice reform, but you can't have criminal justice, justice reform without ending the war on drugs. Like that's the main thing you have to do. That's like first and foremost, a black man being murdered by bad police is and always has been a threat to peace and prosperity, but we're still not taking it seriously. Biden is not taking it seriously. Seriously. He, he was taking it like if he was taking it seriously, his first priority in criminal justice reform would be to end the war on drugs, period. But this fucking guy can't even make a commitment to back a banking bill that would simply just make it possible for banks to work with cannabis businesses. But he's demanding criminal justice reform. So get the fuck out of here, man. Like that's like the it's like the easiest, it's like the low-hanging fruit, and he's not even going after it. So again, it's just kind of like I don't know how I went from, from DC up in Jake Paul's face to this, but it's just like, again, it's like the right. matter of taking something seriously. He's not taking it seriously. And people were talking about this, and I was talking about this too before he became president. I said, look, I mean, Trump's out of his fucking mind. He's got to get out. I don't think Biden is particularly, uh, uh, is going to be a good president. But, you know, like, well, at least he's not fucking insane. But, but here we are, and it's like, you know, we need criminal justice reform, and it's a big thing. But, like, every time someone says something about, prohibition of cannabis, repealing the war on drugs, decriminalization, descheduling. We don't have time for this. Oh, you don't have time for it. Well, you know who has time for it? Fucking thousands of people in jail right now for dime bags. That fucking Joe Biden, man. He's so full of shit. So full of shit. Yep. Hey, uh, politics are going to politic. Uh, who knows why and what the, what the reasons are behind it. But I think one big problem is I don't think that the left as a whole has got together and, and had the unified view of, of the dots you connect and the dots that I would connect and say that the war on drugs has such a substantial part to do with it. I think a lot of people miss that that is such a, such a connection between um, all of these bizarre crimes and, and, and a, lot of, a lot of issues in 
police reform could just start with ending the war on drugs. Like that connection that you just made, how many people are connecting those dots? How big is that sort of connection? Do you see that all the time or no? It's kind of a... I mean, th- okay, just think about how many times those, like if, if you think about all the, all the um, communities in this country that have been, that is where you see like all the, the, uh, the gang wars and, and poverty, you know, typically that's where you see cops coming in and uh, I smell weed. You know what I mean? Like they right. put somebody over and smell weed. Oh, you smell weed, huh? Okay, so that's a good enough reason. Now, now I got to get out of the car. Oh, look what I found in your pocket. Oh, look at that. It's like, it's a segue. You know, they say uh, weed is a gateway to bigger drugs. Actually, weed mm-hmm. is a gateway to get your ass beat by the police if they feel like it. <laughs> that is, that is <laughs> honestly, that is very spot on. And uh, it, no, you're, you're very right about that. I remember the one was over, the one guy got, got his ass beat or whatever the hell happened to him. I don't know if he died. I, I feel bad being so insensitive as to just lose track of it all. But the loose cigarette one, remember the guy selling loose cigarettes? Uh, yeah. I mean, come on, dude. Are you kidding me? That's what this is over. And, and you know what drives me nuts about all this? Speaking of drugs is because we, we have this stigma on the fact that somebody is using drugs. There's all these people out there who want to defend the cop because this guy put drugs in his mouth. And that made him potentially more susceptible to dying from this chokehold that apparently is a non-lethal choke, which is what I've seen by my confirmation bias, ultra conservative. They don't even realize, they don't even realize how um, deep their own racism and their own sort of prejudice and confirmation bias is because they, they constantly project that they're not that, but they're looking for the first thing to align with their view. Well, you know what? Who really gives a shit what he put in his mouth, right? This guy could have been on medication for heart problems. He could have had a collapsed lung. There could have been a lot of factors that don't have to do with illegal drugs that would make that a bad decision to do to him. You know, the guy had some sort of claustrophobia, didn't want to get, who really cares? People are crazy. People have all sorts of issues, all sorts of traumas. It's not your job to handle that situation that way, point fucking blank i don't care how much fentanyl you just put up your damn mouth or what you put you know you put the meth up your ass whatever you just did i don't care what does it have to do with it so it's just using his skateboard this scapegoat and then it dismisses it oh because the guy does drugs because as the guy does drugs, it, it now is almost as if his life doesn't even matter. He's just some drug addict anyway. Just some guy. Sell, you know, I hate that. That was a weird thing. So when that, that happened, when, um, when he had his knee on, on him uh, and everyone's talking about it, they said like how he was holding him down. Um, and I talked to a couple of my friends who do jiu-jitsu and I, I asked them, I'm like, what, what are your thoughts? Like the way he was holding him. I mean, was that a situation where he was holding him away that he that he was he was still safe? He was just couldn't move, or was it like deadly? And without a without us without like a second to spare, they're like, oh, that was way wrong. Like that was like he he sealed the deal. He 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 signed the death warrant the way he did that. So you have like professional fighters or semi even amateur fighters who've been doing this for years. They're like, no, you you can't do that. You'll kill a person if you do that. Particularly for how long he. You know, exactly. Everything. That being said, 
the idea that they said, well, you can't, I guess there's like a new law that says you can't, the police can't have certain holds on people. That seems kind of, that doesn't make sense to me because I also know that guys I know, and you probably can talk more about this than I can, but guys I know that do, do jujitsu, they're like, yeah, like there's a way you can hold somebody where they're not really going to get hurt, but they just can't move. So you do that until someone, someone else comes and cuffs them or whatever. Like, it's almost like you shouldn't tell people not to do something that could be very beneficial. I want to know, like, if there's a cop out there who is, is, is serving and protecting and this cop sees a person that is a danger, that cop can get that person in a certain hold, you know, so that that person can't do any damage to anybody else. But at the same time, that person isn't going to fucking die. Yeah, well, I mean, here's the biggest problem. Number one, it's very difficult to be good enough at controlling people, especially when adrenaline is involved, especially when they're fighting for their life or whatever sorts of situations to expect a police officer to be good enough at controlling a person to be able to just say, Oh, well, if you grab their hand, twist their wrist, grab behind the elbow, get their hand behind their back and like a full or like a half Nelson sort of position, you put your knee here, you can just pin them and hold them. I mean, it's not that easy. Like even somebody great at jujitsu, somebody great at judo at wrestling is going to potentially struggle when they're dealing with somebody that is just flailing with their every being. I mean, that wasn't the case here. And you could have thought of a ton of different ways to contain this person or you know what? So what if you can't entirely control them for a split second or for a minute or you need help or it's not the most efficient way? Like you got to go. It needs to be reflective of the threat. It needs to be reflective of, of the, the, the issue going on. So if, even if that is the easiest way to pin somebody, which it's, it's probably not, it, it's, it's not an option on the table. You know what the easiest way to make the guy stop is to shoot him in the head but you can't do that. You just, it's not an option on the table. Um, so I guess the, the short answer to that is if you were to train people a little bit more thoroughly, they could start to develop ways and ideas of controlling a body of a simple one for everyone to understand is that you can control somebody's hands to get to their elbow, to get to their body. You can like grab the hand, you can rotate it, you can rotate their, their arm, and then you can grab a hold of somebody. And then from there, you can, you can use any sort of like, really like a body lock sort of control. You get tight to them and you just learn basic things. I would imagine that it would take a blue level worth of experience and a lot of live situational rolling and training in order for the, a cop to be able to handle 99% of people in that sort of manner. Um, that, I would say that, but then again, you have other options. Like I, I know this is illegal, the, the whole throat and neck thing. It's very dangerous to put a lot of pressure right on the front of somebody's throat. A lot of your weight, a lot of force, and it doesn't like choke them out the same way as a blood choke. I would think it's much safer heavily frowned upon and probably very illegal and not, not something the average person would recommend is to just choke somebody unconscious, uh, to spend five seconds to get them in, to, to cut off both carotid arteries so they slip into unconsciousness. You cuff them and they come back too, and, and they're, they're not able to you know attack you. They're not able to harm you. I, I put people to choke. I put people to sleep all the time. That's what I'm known for in, in jujitsu. I'm a choke artist. I am good at jujitsu. 
I am elite at chokes, you know, I would say. Um, but at least very good enough where, I mean, and I've seen it enough times, I've put so many people to sleep, so many times people get put to sleep. I mean, I've been to, I've been, I've been to a seminar where a guy was putting people to sleep in demos for jujitsu was showing the, the choke and like if people didn't mind he'd put them to sleep that it's not safe but it's a hell of a lot safer than saying hey we're gonna demo this shin on throat move and uh i'm gonna see if you can handle nine minutes of my shin right on your uh my knee right on your throat no no way you know throat strikes are illegal intentional throat strikes are illegal in fight sports so what does that tell you you know it's yeah. not legal even in fight sports. Do you think that the, and people have talked about this before, do you think that the police, because clearly we know that they're not, there's not enough training going on um, when you know, police officers go from a recruit to actually being out on the street. Do you think they should, it's, people brought this up before, do you think they should be trained in martial arts? Do you think they should be trained in jujitsu? In an ideal world, they would all have a thorough amount of, uh, expertise in in yeah specifically in grappling they would undoubtedly that would be super ideal they would also have um thorough training on psychology on on understanding on socialism on under trying to understand why people are the way they are and the situations they're in um they would probably want to have some sort of understanding for like I don't know if the right worm would be systemic racism. They, they would, you'd want a lot out of a cop in an, in an ideal world. You'd want them to be Mr. Yeah. Perfect, a uh, yeah. borderline superhero, uh, uh, ethics, ethics just chiseled from God, you know? You, yeah. you would. Yeah. So I think even as somebody who, it, it would make sense for me to, to gravitate towards the notion of, yeah, of course they should all be high level in jujitsu. Um, it's just, I don't know what the the funds are. I don't know what the time allows for. At the very least, I think they should be simulating these sorts of things. So like what they should do is even if they're not that great, they should be doing live situationals frequently, like weekly basis. Like when I go to the jujitsu gym, we're rolling. We're not yeah. going over situations all the time. We are practicing doing what we do. So you only need to know so many moves and so many ways and strategies to handle somebody, right? Uh, because if they can handle your best option, you don't need to know a thousand different ways or a hundred different ways to control somebody. You need your go-to. You need a few options and, and you need to practice those options. A boxer uses what? A jab, a cross, a hook. Some don't use uppercuts. Some don't attack the body. Some only stand from one stance. You know, I mean, and that's a professional boxer. So what does somebody really need to know? They need to know their grab, like grab an arm, grab a head, pull somebody in, grab around the body, do a little trip. Uh, then you know that if the trip isn't there because they're away, you pull them down to the ground a different way. You have like a few options and you learn a lot of this through practicing. Like I'm the type of grappler where I learn through rolling. I get the general principle. I kind of know the goal and we practice it over and over. And how do we practice it? By resisting each other. What better person to practice with than your fellow cops? It should be like 
30 minutes a day, an hour a day, and, and it'll right. keep you in shape. You should be practicing doing the job that you have to do. These people are sent out to a fight without ever, without ever practicing. Yeah, hundred percent. And you know, that's the thing. It's like, I'm not, and I think I've mentioned this before, when I bring up these situations where you have these bad cops out there, whether it's intentional or just unintentional, they're just not properly trained. I'm not anti-cop at all. I, I don't think they're properly, they're properly trained. I think they need better training. I think they need more support. Um, you know, and this is kind of a recent thing that people have been talking about is the idea that we, we send the police out <clears throat> to do jobs that maybe they shouldn't be doing. So like there's a guy come at a bar who's stumbling out and they know that he's going to go to his car. So you call the police, the police show up. Well, how about the police show up and with the police officer is a social worker. And then that person takes that person home. And then it's that way there's no chance of any violence because if we really believe this idea of like the anti-aggression principle right then our first instinct should not be when you see a drunk guy walk out of a bar to fucking cuff him and take him to jail the first instinct would be like this guy's fucked up let's get him home safely make sure he's okay check his vitals and everything make sure he's not gonna fucking have a heart attack or something right um take that person home and then uh you know and leave it at that i I don't feel like, like most police officers, why did they don't, I can't imagine they want to fuck with a drunk dude. You know, like that, I, I don't think that's why they get into it. Um, I mean, maybe some of them, I don't know. Um, but, and it's also, again, and we've, and we've talked about this in libertarian circles too, is there's just so many fucking laws that don't make sense. War on drugs, again, you know, the prohibition of cannabis or really any drug. The fact that we're spending so much time and money and people are getting killed because of the war on drugs is, I should tell you this, Maybe we need to rethink this, these laws. You know, there's, there's all kinds of just stupid laws out there too. They're talking about someone gets pulled over because the, uh, their, their license plate is, is expired. Well, it's 2021. So I'm thinking that cop should be able to like punch in the license tag number, you know, while they're driving even. Because uh, there's always, well, not typically, or maybe you pull them over, I don't know. But you, you can call it in. Hey, call in. Hey, can you check this? Oh, it's expired. Okay. This person's driving, you know, he's on whatever road, send a, uh, send a letter with a, a citation or something to that person's house or a court date or something like that. Because once that cop pulls that person over for an expired tag, there's a pretty good chance something bad could happen. Why make it worse? You know, now some yeah. people say, well, it's an excuse to say, well, maybe we're looking for criminals. Well, that's a problem then. Should be, I don't, I don't think the cops should be out looking for criminals. We know that like bad shit is happening. Like, you know, if you're looking for criminals by trying to find people with expired tags, you're just looking for trouble. You know, yep, I just think, it, it, yeah. I think there's better ways. I'm not a criminal justice expert, but I do know that what's wor what we're doing now is not working. And if we re want real criminal justice reform, we have to end the war on drugs. We have to get rid of so many of these laws. We have to better train our police officers. We have to have more people doing jobs that the police officers shouldn't be doing. Um, police officers are not you know, we should not have them in a situation where they have to be fucking guidance counselors. That's not their job, you know, and they're not trained for it. I think we're yeah. putting too much, and this, people might get pissed at me when I say this, but I think we're putting too much pressure on police officers. We're giving them too many jobs to do that they're not properly trained for. And I think that really gets to the, to, between that and the laws, um, really gets to how we pursue criminal justice reform. Yeah. And, you know, because... Because I believe this, clearly it's the truth. 
<laughs> yeah, uh, I'll tell you that one of the big problems. So we get a lot of police officers at the gym. A lot of them. As a matter of fact, I, I had. A, I'll tell you a funny story about one I was talking to this morning. But before I say that, is that something to keep in mind? A lot of these people are very, very young when they start. Mm -hmm. They don't have any other options. They why do they join the police? Uh, you know, force anymore. It's not because it's, it's a job to be overly proud of. It's not a job that you think you're going to be. I mean, even when I was young, the view on cops was, was very different. It was very respected still. I mean, there was like a punk rock revolution sort of uh, view, but it wasn't as mainstream to, to be very venomous towards police in general, maybe specific cops or maybe like a certain town of cops, but I just, it wasn't the same way. Nowadays, when you do it, what's that? For, for us. Right. Because I know in black community. Oh yeah. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. I mean that that's definitely a hundred percent. I'm just saying like nowadays when you take on that job, what are your motives? I think it's getting more and more to the point. It's like, young people who don't have any other options on the table. So they say, I'll be a cop. And they, they, they just, they need the money. They want the benefits. The job sounds like something they could do. Who knows? But I mean, like, I, I meet some of these people and it's like, whoa, you wanted to be a cop? Like, you think you're going to be good at this? And they're the ones who are showing up at an MMA gym learning and actually trying to be better at their job and, and, and have like a, a different sort of like, I'm thinking, what is the average person like going into the academy? And how much interpersonal sort of skills do they have? How much nuance and gray area? And not that it's a job where you want somebody to take those sort of liberties, but it inevitably you're put into situations where you are forced to be able to see these fine lines of, of difference in way checks and balances and things that is a lot to put on the plate of somebody young who just decided they wanted to do this job within the past year or two. That's a really good point. Yeah. Especially when you're that young, you don't have enough life experience yet to know yeah. you're going to see situations that you've never seen before. You didn't even know existed. Yeah. You're out there with a gun, you know, it's kind of that shit, you know, it's funny. And I, I've never really, I don't know if I've ever told anybody this when I was younger, I wanted to be a cop. I love, I, I was like, that would be cool. Like you get to Me too. people. And then as I got older, I realized, oh, I'm a huge pussy and I would be a fucking horrible cop because everyone would beat the shit out of me if I went to go help somebody. I don't have, I don't have it in me. You know, I, I'm not a, I'm not a tough guy. I think you have to be kind of a tough guy to be a cop. You have to be able to, cause look, as much as I say, we need to not always look at the, the violent part of it. The bottom line is you are going to be in violent situations. And I believe that you either have it or you don't. And I don't have it. Yeah. I'll, I'll tell you, I literally wanted to be a cop. Not, not like from the bottom of my heart, but like as far as normal jobs out there, it seemed interesting. It seemed like something I would be good at. It seemed like something I would take pride in. And it seemed like I could empathize and relate to enough people to not have a vendetta against any like pocket of, of people. I just thought I would be a very good candidate to be a cop. I did apply to um, both the Baltimore County and Baltimore City when I was uh, maybe, maybe 21, somewhere around that age. 
Um, but I will tell you this, something that very much made me weary is I'm very nervous about the idea of guns. Like, I mean, I, I'm totally cool with, with, with whatever in general, but the idea of having a gun on my person, the idea of being involved in situations where people have guns, I feel like I'm a different type of tough guy. I'm better to be a security guard where, where guns are not on the uh, agenda and you're just like somebody's like private security or, or something or, or maybe like a bounty hunter where you're not supposed to use weapons or whatever the hell. I'd be that guy. I don't like uh, not a gun guy. Scares me, dude. Scares me. You know, that's good, man. I think people, I don't think a lot of people really, I think more people should be afraid of guns and more people should be conscious of, well, not conscious, but just take it more seriously. You know, I'm obviously like, I'm a complete defender of the second amendment. Um, but man, it pisses me off when I see people walking around with fucking AKs hanging off their shoulders, like trying to prove a point. I'm like, you're just causing trouble, man. And there's a pretty good chance you don't know what the fuck you're doing with that firearm. I really get pissed off too when I see women do this a lot. They, um, they'll get like a pink gun, like a, they'll have like a pink nine millimeter or something. And they wear like a fucking accessory. It's a fucking gun. It's not a purse. It's not a yeah. compact. You know what I mean? And they think it's cute. It's not fucking cute. That, that fucking, whatever her name is, one of the congresswomen, I forgot her name, Laura something, Freebird or something like that. She talks about guns like they're fucking toys, man. And, it, and that's, a, that's a real issue, man, in the libertarian community is there are a lot of people that, that are libertarian and they're just like, and they're so want to be forceful about the second amendment and supporting it, which I get, but kind of shoving it in people's faces and like showing off your guns and stuff. That makes no sense to me. That yeah. makes no sense to me. You're, you're, when you do that, you are trivia, trivializing what a gun is. And that to me is a bigger problem than a gun itself. I don't think a gun is a problem. I think people mistreating guns and not respecting guns um, is, a, is a big problem. Um, you know, it's, it's interesting with all this, like lately it seems like there's been a lot more coverage of these police shootings. And I was thinking about this recently in that, can you think of any good protest song that has come out recently. I feel like now is a good time for a protest song, but I haven't, I haven't seen any or heard it. Like a good protest no. song, it, you know, not like fuck the cops or whatever. When NWA did it, it made sense, but now it's like, okay, we get it. You know, I well, for, I'm sure there have been some in like the extreme pop mainstream and they're probably insanely lame. Like there's probably some country song featuring like a reformed rapper where they're talking about, you know, protesting and unifying, whatever. I mean, I think there have been a couple things that have been done, but as far as things I know and things that are like prolific or from the heart, like punk rock attitude or even like the 60s kind of hippie psychedelia folk sort of um, a movement, nothing. P punk is dead, man. There, there hasn't been anything like that since like when, when, when MTV stopped playing music regularly, I think they're, they're the, the, that sort of ship went away. Not that MTV was the most amazing end-all, be-all thing. But, like, right. I mean, you would consider, even if it's not in your face or, like, like, renowned for it, you would consider something like Rage Against the Machine to be very much protest songs in a way, right? right? 
Yeah, I can't think of bands. And when I think of a protest song, I think of a band that takes on the identity of like protesting things and standing up for something, even more than just a song. Like they are identified by having that type of attitude. And that is something that is very, very dead in music. Oh, and you know what's crazy? So it's like dead. definitely in, in, in rap music. So like when I was coming up, like pretty much a good chunk of rap music was was political you know yes i mean public enemy public enemy joke you know um cool modi treacherous three um furious five like the message you know the song the message like that was fucking heavy shit 100 percent. but now it's like well no i will say um a couple years ago i did like uh this is america childish gambino that was a fucking good protest song Okay, I don't know it, but I know Childish Gambino, but I don't know that song. There was a, there was a line. I always liked the line of song. I'm trying to think of it. Um, it's like, this is America. Oh, he's like, this is America. Guns in my area. I got the strap. I got to carry them. I think that's the line. Yeah. Like, that, that's pretty deep when you, when you think about it. Um, for a couple reasons. Like, the one, one reason I would say is the observation that people in certain communities have to have a gun because if you don't have a gun, there's a very good chance that you're going to, you put yourself at risk. That's a reality in certain communities. Um, but, you know, even more so, I think when I think about that, I, I don't know why I think about this, but I think about the NRA, um, which always talks about gun rights, um, but they never really recognize the gun rights of black and brown people. The, who are likely to need firearms more than most white people, in my opinion. Um, which is why I've always maintained that the NRA is just a, a racist organization. Um, and I'm a gun owner. And I've never been a part of the NRA. I have no interest of being in the NRA. And I remember when the, the Philando Castile thing happened. That guy had a permit to carry that gun, and he was shot and killed. And the NRA didn't say shit until, like, they were almost forced to say something about it. It's like dude like you if you really cared about gun rights you should have been out there the second it happened because i tell you what anytime there's a mass shooting like a gun shooting nra's out there like within 15 minutes hey don't take away our guns we need we need police officers with the guns in the in the schools and this and that black guy does it fucking crickets man you hear nothing um so anyway kind of went off on a tangent there but i think um in terms of, i was thinking about this protest song thing that i thought the childish gambino song was really good the this morning, I think it was this morning, I saw, or maybe it was yesterday, well, it must have been this morning, because it was that show Sunday morning, um, where they're talking about the, the guy that wrote Strange Fruit, which is the Billie Holiday song, which in my opinion is the greatest protest, protest song of all time, um, for many reasons. If you get a chance, see, um, I think I don't know. I don't know if I know it. I don't know if I know oh, it. it. It's like, first of all, if you don't, if anyone listening to, like, there's a movie, I think it's called The the state versus Billy Holiday or something like that. It's on um, Hulu. It's a really great uh, movie about like how she was she was essentially targeted by Harry Anslinger, who we've talked about before, was the architect of the war on drugs, um, and he basically wanted to take her down because he thought she was dangerous for singing a singing a song called Strange Fruit, which was a protest song that he thought would um, essentially empower the black community. Dude, I got it, and I pulled it up here because I wasn't sure if you would, if you, if you knew the song. 
anyway, I want before I get to the song, the guy who wrote it was a, a white Jewish communist who lived in this country, who wrote the song. Or he wrote it as a poem, and Billy Holiday took that took that and sang it. There's a just reading it is is reading the lyrics is heavy. When you hear her sing it, dude, I get goosebumps every time I hear it. It it's so fucking powerful. I'm so so I'm not I'm not saying I'm glad you didn't know the song, but I'm gonna I pulled the lyrics up because you got to hear this, man. This is like when I think of protest song, there's nothing better than this. This is fucking hard. Like it's hard. It's People talk about like what's hardcore, like I'm the hardcore band or like rap music, whatever, what's hard. Dude, this song, it's fucking hard. It's about, as, it's like John Jones hard. You know what I mean? It's like yeah, fucking hard. It means business. So check, this, check this out. Here's the lyrics. It's a short song. Southern trees bear a strange fruit. Blood on the leaves and blood on the root. Black bodies swinging in the southern breeze. Strange fruit hanging from the poplar trees. Pastoral scene of the gallant South, the bulging eyes and the twisted mouth, scent of, scent of magnolias sweet and fresh, then the sudden smell of burning flesh. Here is a fruit for the crows to pluck, for the rain to gather, for the wind to suck, for the sun to rot, for the tree to drop. Here is a strange and bitter crop. Dude. Wow. He wrote that, he wrote that poem wow. after he saw two to a lynching of two black men and the crowd that gathered around smiling and looking and pointing at it. Just even saying, like, I feel like I get chills again. Mm. I get, you know, it's like the hair stands up. That woman sang that song and people were like, don't sing that song because we will arrest you. Dude, this is like a time where like if a black person did some shit like that, it would be nothing for that person. What year? What year yeah. are we talking? It's the 1940s, I guess. Yeah. 1930s. Let's see here. What what lyrics? Wow, that is powerful. Right? Mm. Dude. And it's like, and it's funny because like in the movie, they talk about all these other songs that Billy Holiday could sing. And they're like, don't sing Strange Fruit. Sing these other songs like All of Me, which were like non-controversial. And she's like, dude, like this is important. Like I have to sing this. I think about that nowadays because I think that there's a lot, we still have a really big racial divide in this country and not even a racial divide, but just like racism is still very much alive and well. And I don't see any strange fruits coming out and I don't no. understand why. Are we numb to it now? Um, because now it's kind of like you could write a song like that and it could be all over the, it could be all over YouTube. It could be on, on Spotify. It could be on Apple Music. I, 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 iTunes. It could be on everything. And no one's going to shoot you or try to kill you or put you in jail for, for doing a protest song like that, like they did back then. When you did a protest, protest song back then, you put your life on the line. You don't yeah. put your life on the line now, right? So why? Why are there no protest songs? When, when I think of protest songs, I think of, of rap of 20-plus years ago, you know, right. or, or at least – Maybe not, maybe not 20 years ago, but yeah, I don't know. Yeah, probably 20 plus years ago, um, maybe even in longer, maybe 25 plus years ago. And I think of like, for me, there's not, there's two things that really stand out. Dead Kennedys are just mm -hmm. like, oh, Hell yeah. oh my God, Jello Biafra, his commentary on society, on politics, on so much stuff. And there's, uh, 
there's just something about it that, that just speaks volumes to me. And not even the music, but the types of speeches that, that bands would give before songs, after songs. Henry Rollins was known for this. Like, there's a lot of great footage of Henry Rollins talking before a song, after a song, and, and it's just like powerful. Maybe not, maybe not forced on your face protest, but it, but, it, but it speaks to that sort of energy. Those are the things that come to mind for, for me. But I know that, I mean, it's the heart of a lot of things in the 60s and all that. I don't know. I, I would have thought there would have been more stuff with, uh, with like Trump and uh, that, that sort of thing. I thought it would be a big opportunity for punk rock. A band I love, Local H, the, the, he, he's the guy, the front man, Scott Lucas, is really into like politics and he'll bring it up at live shows and yeah, the problem is it just causes such a divide. We're, we're not really, so many people are split on it, even within the circles of the music scenes where we're like, it's, it, it, I don't know what, what the problem is, but I can't see a song or an artist or something pulling off something that, that, that people get together in counterculture wholly. I don't know who, I de- who, who represents counterculture anymore. Well, is there even, I mean, it's like almost hard to have a counterculture because everything's so fucking, you know, sterile at this point. The, the weird thing, though, and I think about, like, the, the Dead Kennedy songs and the stuff that, even the spoken words that Jello Biafra did, he did a spoken word record called I Blow Minds for a Living, and there's some great fucking stuff on that. There's, a, um, there's, a one, he, there's one he did called Die for Oil Sucker, and it's like, dude, that's like a, almost 30 years old, and it's still relevant today. Now, his politics are very much to the left. So if like I met Jello Biafra, I'd be like, dude, I'm a huge fan or whatever. But politically, we probably wouldn't be eye to eye on certain things. And I think about protest songs and it's like, how often do we have a protest song coming from somebody who's not on the left or far to the left? You know what I mean? It's like, you know, there's, yeah. I mean, we're not going to, well, I guess there's protest songs on the right and they tend to be for more conservative values. Yeah. Um, or racist. I, I guess they're probably, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, but like, yeah, like that's another thing we, you know, I find that the more we do this podcast, the more we tend to be a bit critical of the libertarian party um, in that, you know, there's not, I don't see a lot of libertarians listening to a song like this is America and being like, fuck yeah, like this song speaks, uh, speaks some truth. And that, not that I talked to every libertarian in the world, and maybe right. I'm wrong, you know. Um, but if you think about it, like I think of Rage, you know, like Rage has some great fucking songs. But, they, but you know, I could, not, I could sit there and talk with, with um, uh, what's, his name? what's his name, the, the guitar player, Tom Morello, and he and I would not be on the same page politically. But fuck, some of those songs, those, those songs speak to me. Maybe not from a political standpoint, just from like a justice standpoint. So maybe that's the key. Are we so consumed by politics that we're starting to ignore justice or lack thereof? Oh, yeah. Or is that too much? <laughs> no, I mean, I, I, I think you're definitely right. Uh, it's interesting. I, I think it, it's, I think it's the whole protesting from the left side is getting too 
exclusive to them. Like it's so over the top and so one-sided and so swarmy where it's hard to watch. Like I think of like SNL, like I like SNL, but sometimes it's just getting annoying that they only will parody a lot of times. I mean, maybe now they, they're probably willing to parody Biden in a way that they were not willing to parody Barack Obama. But it's like we had eight years of like it was almost off limits to parody anything oh, yeah. about about the president outside of maybe the cadence in which he talked. Like, yeah. like, come on. Cool he was, you know, like. Yeah, that was a running joke. It was funny, but you're right. I mean, I maintain that Trump is an outlier because he deserved every piece of vitriol that he earned. Um, But yeah, like thinking about, I'm trying to think back to when did they ever criticize anything Obama did that was fucked up? That really changed everything because there was a lot of like music that came out when I was uh you know in in school during the the bush administration where like it it wasn't like there was a lot of stuff um coming around punk punk rock whether it be like bands like anti-flag or maybe rise against i don't know who did what but there was a lot of anti-bush stuff that band um local h i just talked about they had the song bound for the floor you would know them if you heard them um you know, just don't get it. Keep it copacetic, and you. Well, they're, they're rock as fuck. They're cool, man. They had a song called "President Forever," and like they would do like "fuck George Bush" chants and stuff at live shows. You used to see that a lot. "Fuck George Bush" would be like a thing that you would see and hear, and people might even put that on a T-shirt back then, right? And I think we went through eight years where it was no longer it was no longer possible to say anything bad anything negative i mean shit the guy won a nobel peace prize right i mean you couldn't attack that man without any perspective other than signing your name to the extreme right that was the only way to attack him was under the guise of well i'm just like a conservative and or probably racist like there was no middle ground even even a libertarian type person would probably have to tread lightly when when critiquing you know president obama and we had eight years of that that changes culture yeah you're right you're 100 percent right and i'm starting to see it again probably not to the same effect um but certainly you know i think we talked about this in the past with the immigration problem um and people are questioning uh biden like dude what the fuck happened you know, when it was Trump, it was on the news every fucking day. Mm-hmm. You know, Biden's doing it's like, what's well, on the news on the right wing channels? You know, they'll show a little bit of it, but none of the people that hated Trump over the immigration stuff are speaking up now. Or they, if they are, they're again, like you said, treading lightly. They're they're not making a, as big of a deal of it as they as they did before. Come on, man. How much how much did the warmongering honestly change? when Barack Obama came in office in those eight years. How much did it change? You know what changed? The messaging. They kept that shit under wraps. Right. Bush was in charge. It was like, if you talked about that kind of shit, you were American, number one America, all that bullshit. When Obama came in, he's like, look, the people who voted for me don't like the war stuff, so we're just not going to talk about it. And they did it, you know? And I always thought it was interesting, too, that when Obama was bombing the shit out of people, the right 
like the the like the Fox News and 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 any other right wing uh, news stations didn't talk much about that either, which I tells know. me that it was more about the ideology than it was about taking Obama down. They could take Obama down for any number, talking you know attacking him on on healthcare, for instance. But when it came to bombing other countries, well, conservatives kind of like that. Republicans kind of like that. So we're not going to beat them down on that one. They're very selective in what they did. And then Democrats do the same thing. CNN's doing it right now. You know, MSNBC's doing it right now. I mean, I don't really watch those channels too much, but usually people call them out when they, when they do shit, like not talking about the immigration thing, you know. Not say, it's like fucking crickets again. Right. Yeah, no, th- that's very truthful about, about the problem um, was when conservatives were, uh, especially at that time, socially, culturally, it was, it was a different time when it, when it came to, you know, uh, Islam, I guess, or, or whatever you want to call it. We definitely had a different sort of view as a, as a general whole, um, but it, it was under the guise of America. And that's what we were kind of fighting for. And then eventually it was just kind of like, a, mm, we're fighting, but we're not, we don't, we're not going to even say why or how, or eh, it's just hard to get out of there. It's hard. We need to just stay doing what we're doing, I guess, and not be, you don't get asked about it. There's no tough questions. Some, I think, I think the Republicans are, don't ask and they don't prod and poke with the right questions when it comes to dissecting the left. And the left does a pretty good job of dissecting the right and the issues. Well, not always, but I think they, they definitely with George Bush probably did a better job than the right did with, with Barack Obama, with bringing light to things. I guess it's because it's hypocritical. I guess it's because they also are a little bit more pro-war typically, but it, it doesn't make sense to me. Like, that's the first thing I think of when I think of President Obama. Like, sure, you could, you could go the healthcare route. Sure, you could look at a lot of things like that. I think of a man who promised to close down Guantanamo Bay, um, promised to get out of, uh, you know, war, but wound up, you know, increasing the war in, in Afghanistan, all sorts of things. Um, the drone strike uh, deaths, all that. And uh, honestly, to say that, you, you have fear of, of coming off as being, you know, I guess, racist, right? What is it? Why, why don't we say it? Is, it? is it the race thing, you think? I think there's definitely something to that, for sure. Um, and I also think that with Obama, when he came in, it was kind of like, I think a lot of people saw a reflection, a more accurate reflection of this country for the first time in a long time. Yeah. So I think there was more hope there. We're like, hey, you know, I think there's somebody in here that can actually, that wants to shake things up a little bit, that wants to get rid of this kind of, you know, nationalistic, you know, uh, nation building, warmongering kind of thing. But it didn't turn out that way. It didn't turn out that way at all. Right. It's unfortunate. I think that though, if you look at the presidents, if we look through Bush up until now, Biden, the one thing that, and I will continue to say this, is that with Biden, with Bush, with Obama, they had a, 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 um, a competent team in place. Whatever you want to say about Bush or Obama or Biden, they're very strategic. 
they're very smart people. People used to talk shit about Bush, like, oh, he's so stupid. He's not fucking stupid. You don't get to become president most of the time <laughs> by being stupid, you know, the old-fashioned way. Um, right. The problem with Trump is he came in and was completely incompetent. And he brought in some competent people, but when he didn't like them, he got rid of them and brought in incompetent people. So he had four years of complete incompetence. So I, it's very hard to compare the Trump years to anything else because everything else we can say, we can point to certain policy decisions and be like, this was a good idea or a bad idea because this, this, this. Everything that happened under Trump was just fucking random. Just him just making shit up, talking about shit. You know, we mm-hmm. talked about this with, with COVID, you know, talking about the bleach thing and the light thing and this will be a miracle be over. Don't wear a mask, you look stupid. Who the fuck says that when you're the fucking president of the United States? You know what I mean? Like that kind of shit. Take when I when I, it makes me take that that four years out and be like, no, I can't accept this. This was not, this was not appropriate. And then the people that supported it, um, they made it worse. Why that happened, I'll never know. Maybe it just again goes back down to they're more concerned about their party than they are about the health of, and the well-being of the people of this country. Yeah, you you could take Donald Trump's Twitter feed. This is what I would do. I would I would I would like try to get people to to level with me. And I would just try to get people on the right to admit that he looked like an idiot and was an idiot on Twitter. Mm-hmm. I'm like, if you can read this man's tweets and tell me that you love him and think he's a great guy and think he's awesome, they like wanted him to just, eh, he, if he could just get off the Twitter, if he could just get off. No, well, he's being himself. So this mm-hmm. is a reflection of who he is. So w- what is wrong with his Twitter? Is it that it makes him look bad? Why? Because he is bad? Like, I would just, like, force them to connect the dots. You could take that man's Twitter feed and do a best of, and not only could you release it within the States, obviously, you could sell it on the shelves of, like, European countries, and it would be comedy gold. It would just be what a bestseller that would be. There was, there was someone who actually did this thing where they went to other parts of the world, and they, they would tape – they would. They would tape people as they're watching Trump say certain things. They're feeling like in Germany and Morocco and Russia and France, like all over the world, Japan. And pretty much every response was the same. They're just like, what the fuck? What? Like they couldn't mm. get it. And they even in the videos, they even made sure that it wasn't like, wasn't like all like socialist countries or people to the left. It was basically like just everybody. And they're just like, how the fuck is this person president? You know, yeah. I still drive drive to my office or drive to the gym, and I still see Trump flags. It's embarrassing, man. You should be. I see him everywhere. I see him everywhere, and and you know what? Uh, uh, there was some egg on face for me, and I was young. I I was I was young in two thousand eight. You know, I was twenty years old, and uh, the the build up for that. There's egg on your face when you're outwardly pro Obama and all that because there, there was this vibe, this aura of hope, of change. And I was on that bandwagon, man. I had a fucking Obama shirt, you know? I was really into it. It just seemed right to me at the time. And there is egg on your face. But if you don't feel any sort of humility after everything that went down, like leading up with this, this, the, the, the storming and the protests and, and all the comments that have been made and all the things over the, the, the past four years, if you don't feel a little bit of humility for loving 
President Trump <laughs> for loving him. I love him. He's the greatest. He's our savior. If you don't have any sort of humility for being that over the top, I don't even care if you say, you know what? He was an all right president. I, I liked a lot of things about what he did. He's kind of a buffoon. If you loved him and you don't feel any sort of humility, you're not, you're not thinking, you're not looking at yourself right. And you're not looking at the world right. Period. They don't care. Done. I mean, people, they, I yeah, think they don't, you're right. People like that don't really care either way. I mean, we I think, and you're right. I mean, I remember I was in college when Clinton, Bill Clinton was running for office the first time. And I was a huge Clinton supporter, man. Like I had like students for Clinton set up at my school and I, I was at all the, all the rallies and I, you know, um, I, I mean, I was, I, I worked for the campaign. I was like hardcore into it. I wanted some serious change. I didn't like we were coming out of the Bush years, the Bush senior. And, um, and I just thought Clinton was like, he was a breath of fresh air. Now I look back at it. I'm just like, Oh, that was pretty bad. You know, like yeah. I mean, all these things that happened under his, you know, during his time, particularly on criminal justice reform or lack thereof. Um, I mean, he really doubled down on a lot of, a lot of, a lot of people that are in prison today um, are there as a result of his policies. I didn't, at the time, I don't know if I, if I, if I could go back in time and I still had to vote for the two, I still don't know who I would have voted for because right. senior, I, I guess I don't know enough about it. Cause I wasn't, I don't think I was in tune enough back then than I was, but here we are today, you know, just after four years of Trump, and getting back to the protest song thing, how was there not like a mind-blowing, just life-altering uh, protest song under Trump? I remember the one song, there was that Fuck Donald Trump song, which is like, really, that's the best you can do? Fuck Donald Trump? Like, that's that's the best we can, that is the best we can do. That's exactly what I was thinking about. It's like, what do you expect out of this generation of music? You know what is heralded more than anything in our music? The pinnacle of music is the Super Bowl show. And it is lip syncing. <laughs> it is right. lip syncing and, and lip syncing songs that they didn't even write. And it's not acknowledged, right? For instance, you talk about this protest song that was a poem that somebody else wrote and it, and it makes some sort of sense. This is, we live in the most fraudulent, fake, empty, least deep time for music. It's not even funny and we don't care. We do not care. It's all a performance. It's all an act. There's no intention on digging deep. And, that, and that's what we live in. So how can you expect a protest song that, that, you know what would happen if somebody wrote a good protest song? It would be some non-famous musician, probably not even a musician at all, just somebody who wrote it in their heart, posted it on Facebook or YouTube, and it goes viral for a week or two. They go on some morning show and play it live a couple times, and then it's done. Yeah, you know, yeah. that, that's the best you could look for. You could look for somebody to write a song that speaks volumes that still is a flash in the pan, probably not even from a, a, an, a real musical artist. That's, yeah. that's what I think that's what the best you could say. That's sad, man. That bums me out because, yeah. you know, as, as a kid, I think like when I really started, I mean, I always loved music, you know, and, and I, in the seventies, I was, I was just, you know, seven, eight years old. I would listen to songs that my dad would play. 
and I just love music. But when I got older, when I got into high school and I started discovering just like angry music, mu like protest music, music that just really made me think and was a big fuck you to everything else. You know, like I remember listening to Bad Brains for the first time and just being mm. like, well, my life has officially changed, you know, like that kind of shit. I don't know. I don't, if you think about like, who listens to new music? It's usually kids, you know? Do kids these days, listen to me sound like I'm fucking old as shit. Kids these <laughs> days, do they just not care? I don't believe that. I think they do care. But maybe maybe music isn't just isn't just the thing for them anymore. Maybe because they have Instagram and Twitter, or they don't use Twitter. They have Instagram or whatever, Snapchat or whatever they use. Just showing my age again. Like, I don't know what the fuck kids use now. You know, maybe they have a voice that way that they don't need a protest song. Yeah. Maybe there's something to that. I mean, maybe that's a good thing too, because more people do have a voice that can get heard. But as as someone who appreciates art and music, it's just like it's sad to me. It's sad that I'm not gonna hear another strange fruit. It's sad you're, you're that right. I'm not gonna hear another um I don't know, pay to come or you know, just any any number of these songs that I grew up with, you know, I just, I don't know, man. I feel like they're, it's the third time I've said this, but I think this is a reflection of my age. Just accepting the fact that things are not static. People change. Societies change. So Podcasts is, might have a lot to do with it. Like speaking of, like podcasts, like once you could have a voice like that, a lot of your socio-commentary, a lot of your woke culture comes through people who plug in their headphones and listen to people that they feel are very prolific and yeah, do stand up and protest sorts of things through podcasts or like internet sort of, um, you know, not that I, I like, like I think of the fact that there are these options out there in these little pockets, like, you know, the young Turks, the, mm -hmm. the political, like the ultra, like they're pretty left, but there's like, um, yeah, but like the Young Turks came out and all that. They're like, it's easy to find um, identity and 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 sort of relate to to more platforms of talk and information and news sites. Uh, you, you can go to all these websites that, if you are politically minded, if you are into that kind of stuff, there's so many other platforms other than music that I think it's just not the platform people go to through music. And I noticed that when I started, I dated a good bit of punk rock girls over the year, over the years. And I, by the way, I love that, you know, that dead milkman song, uh, punk rock girl, but, uh, regardless, I, I was shocked how many of them at the end of the day, despite the band shirts they wore, despite the concerts they, they went to, they listened to like really bad thoughtless like trap music like rap that's just like not you know just like a, a sound a vibe yeah. yeah and i realized that that the punk scene became very much a bunch of people that that like acted and looked like punks but didn't even like punk music and that's crazy right like they weren't even about the music anymore I'm not saying music's dead. I'm not saying the identity of music's completely dead, but people don't look to strongly identify through music. They almost like, uh, it's almost like a parody-esque sort of thing 
Like what makes somebody who's really into the punk movement want to listen to music um, that, that uh, is extremely, you know, degenerate towards, or towards women and, and the way they just talk about like killing and that kind of stuff. It's like, I, I don't know that, that, that style of music doesn't seem like something they would identify with, but it's the only songs they honestly know all the words to. What is that? How does that work? I don't know. I don't you, know. I mean, it just, it, it, well, there's always gatekeepers, right? There's always gatekeepers that decide what music people are going to listen to and what they're not going to listen to. It's really what makes money. I mean, it's a, 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 a result of a free market. So I, I'm not, I'm not going to criticize that. You give people what they want, what they're going to pay for. I guess it's always been kind of like that too, because, you know, growing up, like when I was listening to Minor Threat and Bad Brains and, you know, Big Black and all these great punk bands, like that was, they were the outliers. Like you didn't hear that stuff on MTV. Like you heard them from your friends or you'd go to a show and you'd have mixtapes that people would pass around. Like that's how you found out about them. So it, was, it wasn't like out in the open. What they were feeding us on, you know, in, in, on radio was Huey Lewis and Journey and stuff. Not that I have any problem with those bands. It's just, that's what they were, that's what the gatekeepers decided we would listen to. Um, and that stuff was all pretty sterile. There was nothing, you know, um, aggressive or um, protest about any of that stuff. Maybe that's, that's how it's always been. I mean, going back to Strange Fruit, they didn't want that protest song out there because they didn't want to rile people up. Um, th there's probably something to that, yeah. I think. And it's even harder now because so much stuff is online. See, when I was growing up, I heard Fuck the Police and I was like, what the fuck is this? Like, I mean, I grew up north of Baltimore, was a predominantly white community. Like, I didn't know anything about police brutality. How, how would I fucking know anything about that? The only way I knew about it or learned that it was a possibility was through rap music. You know, not just NWA, but Public Enemy and, and, um, and Kool Mo D and like, you know, uh, who else was there? Uh, Africa Mambada like all that old hip hop, like that and rap music, like that, that, that gave me an education that I couldn't have possibly gotten anywhere else. Now you can get anywhere, just turn on, go to YouTube and you'll see, you know, some police officer beating the shit out of a black guy. We all know now, you know, we didn't know before, but we all know now. Um, so it's, it's kind of more in our face. Like you talk to a kid now, like, well, of course that exists. Man, I'm thinking back to the day when Fuck the Police came out, People were losing their shit. I can't believe they're saying fuck the police. That was like a really big deal. I remember getting that record and hiding it from my parents. Yeah. And, like, and I, I remember buying the record at this, this record store. It was in, it was in Baltimore. It was, on, it was on the West side and it was owned by these, uh, these Jamaican dudes and they used to sell weed out of there and like the best hip hop you could get, like all the Wu, like Wu-Tang wasn't until later, but like, that's where I go get the first Wu-Tang record, you know? That's where I would get NWA because that's the only place that would sell it. You weren't going to find it at Sam Goody or any of these other record stores at the mall. Fuck no, you would never see it there. You had to go somewhere, uh, again, kind of underground to get it. That music, the, all, the, all the stuff that they were talking about now is above ground. We, we know about it. Now the question is, are we numb to it now? We all know it and we're not going to do anything about it? Or are we going to do something about it because it's in our face? And I still haven't figured that out yet. I don't know. Yeah. You know, it's interesting. Just talking about this too is making me think there's a lot about black culture 
that I did not know growing up until it was brought to my attention by media. So music being one of them, you know, listening to Public Enemy, listening to NWA, um, but also watching TV. I remember seeing, remember that show Different World? A Different World? It was like a spinoff of the huh. Cosby show. And it was like about a uh, predominantly black college or historically black college. Um, I didn't know, I didn't know anything about historically black college what's, or H, uh, university, I guess, HBU, or HBC, I think HBU, the historically black university, historically black college. Um, I didn't know, I didn't even know those existed. Why, I wouldn't even think you, that, would, that would be a thing. And then you learn about it. And then you learn about in those shows, it was very light, but they would hit on certain things that affected black people going to college. And that was my that was my education. I never learned about that shit in school. I didn't have the internet. I didn't know what was going on. So I'm very grateful, I guess, for a lot of the music and TV that I saw growing up because it exposed me to things I wouldn't have known about, particularly about non-white cultures. You know, whether it's Jefferson's, Good Times, Sanford and Son. Sanford and Son took place in Watts. What the fuck is Watts? Why would I know about Watts as a white kid growing up in Bel Air? There's yeah. no way I would have known. Well, then they start talking about Watts. And I asked my dad one day, what's Watts? And of course my dad was like, well, this is Watts, this is what happened. I'm sitting there going, how the fuck, how did nobody ever tell me this? <laughs> you know what I mean? How do I not know this? I think media, you know, whether it's through music or through TV or movies plays a really important role in our education because we are not properly educated on all the stuff that some people don't want us to know about. But maybe yeah. because the stuff exists now, you know, and maybe because it's all online now, it's almost made it so that it's maybe not necessary for these protest songs or these TV shows to educate us. It's hard to ignore nowadays. So you might have an opinion where you deny it, and you might have an opinion where you, you know, acknowledge it and, and are aware. But because it, it's out there, you inevitably see it and have a strong opinion. Whereas back in, in the time you're talking about, you quite frankly just didn't know such grandiose things. So now, nowadays, I think we are much more aware that, that, that a protest song or something doesn't bring a whole lot of things to light. Um, it just gives you something to identify with, you know, and it definitely is only going to speak to people who probably already are of that opinion. So it's just polarizing in a way without really being able to wake many people up probably is a little bit of a problem. You know, we already know about a lot of these things, and we already have formed opinions on them where I'm not saying that's not the nature of the way some protest songs were, but it really, you're, you're right there that for a, a white person to listen to some of and, and, and to be exposed to those, that sort of stuff. I mean, even back up until like the mid late nineties, it was very eye opening to see. I remember what, for me, it was, I saw a lot of documentaries. I saw a lot of documentaries on prison, on other cultures, I remember I watched this documentary and this wasn't, this was probably early two thousands, but again, it just, we, we were only so in tune with the internet, with social media. I saw a movie called the lost boys, which was on the lost boys of Sudan. 
And uh, it was an amazing movie. What a good documentary. One of the best documentaries of all. Oh my God. And it's like th this sort of thing. Now, 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 something like that could happen off the radar. When I think of protest songs, and the reason I brought this up is I think it would take something off our radar completely to, to, to make yeah. waves. You see, because everything's on our radar. What, what is a song about cops shouldn't beat up black people? That's a, that's a song people will rally behind, but it's not going to open their eyes to much or change views. Whereas a documentary like The Lost Boys, that opens your damn mind. A documentary on people on death row um, or, or something, or get, you know, getting accused of murder for, for years and years and years, and then getting out as a free person once they're found out to, to not be guilty. That's something you could write a song about that like, whoa, everybody could get behind something like that, or at least they should. I don't know that, that politics offers that anymore, or, or American, very American talking points offer a whole lot of that. Like, I can't think of something that, I don't know, man. Like it, it would, yeah, I think it'd have to be something like that. Something a little bit less, you think of movies like Hotel Rwanda when that came out and, um, you know, everybody wanted to go see City of God was like a foreign movie that everybody saw. Remember that? Uh, mm -hmm. Yeah, stuff like that seems like themes you could talk about off our radar, outside of our country. Or stuff like like prison system stuff. I, would love I don't to know. See people um, be able to see some documentaries about people um, coming to this country from war torn areas. Yeah, you know, whether it be from you know in the Middle East or in uh, Africa or, or South America, because I think a lot of people that are very opposed to immigration, they just kind of see it as like an invasion but they don't understand like what these people are going through and why they're coming here. And there's people in my family that will say, when the, when the people bring their kids over, they're like, well, they shouldn't be bringing their kids over here. That, that puts them at risk. Like not understanding, like if they stay where they are, they will die. It's not, it's not an if, it will happen. That's why they're taking their kids. People don't leave their homes because they think they're gonna come here and have a fucking nice car, you know, be driving a Tesla and move into a nice house. Like they come here because they're gonna fucking die if they stay where they are, you know. And to see like the stuff that they go through when there's wow, yeah, out in the desert. So when these people get here, they can have water so they don't fucking die. And there's other people that go out there and take those water bottles and dump them out because they want them to die. How fucking yeah. horrible is that? Like that, I understand it's it's not a black and white issue. I understand that this is very tricky trying to figure out how to deal with immigration. But are we that removed from humanity that we can we can look at someone who's coming here simply because that person doesn't want to die or doesn't want his or her family to die and be like, nah, dude, we're full, man. You can't come here. Yeah. And I, I saw a bumper stick the other day. It said, get the fuck out. We're full. Really? That's <laughs> oh my cool. God. That's some cold shit. But see, we're so far removed from things. And unfortunately, I think, you know, it's hard to with media because it's also become, can become very politicized. You know, there's definitely people on the right that on the extreme right that will show MS-13 people coming through. See, here they come, here come the gangsters, they're coming to kill us. Right. Then on the left, you know, you see people coming in here and they're like, you know, they're, it's gonna show like, it's, it's gonna make it seem like there's no risk when you open the borders. You know, right. there is risk. 
you know, I mean, I feel like we need to do a better job at calculating that risk. Um, but you can't mandate uh, how to take on a humanitarian act, action. You know, like people have different ideas of what's ethical and what's right. You know, for me personally, when I hear these stories, and I used to do some volunteer work for the International Rescue Committee, and I talk to some of these people that come to this country and hear their stories, man, dude, it fucking breaks your heart. I used to work, I used to do this thing where these guys would come in from um, Sudan, and I was a mentor. Like, my job was basically to get them acclimated to the city. So I show them how to, you know, how to get a bus pass, how to ride the bus, how to go to the grocery store, like what to buy, you know, how to pay their heating bill or whatever, because they're new. They don't fucking know. You know, a lot of these people come from farms. They're farmers. And they come here and they're in the city and they're like, okay, like this is how you, most of these people don't live in nice areas. So I'd have to explain to them like, listen, you don't want to be out here two o'clock in the morning sitting out on your doorstep because it's nice out. It's just not an option for you because of where you live right now. But you talk to these people and almost all of them were like, yeah, like I left my family behind. I left my kids behind, my wife, you know, because I was the only one that could get here. And I'm trying to make money to send back to them so they can get out of there. Because if they don't get out of there, they're going to die. Like, this is real shit. So when I hear people just dismiss um, people coming here looking for a better life, I can't. It's not something that's dismissive. I know it's hard. I know it's not something that there's a quick fix for. But, man, I just, we can't keep acting like these people are just soulless widgets. They're fucking humans. You know, and, I, and it's, it saddens me that they become pawns in political games on both sides. And this is honestly, a, a, again, this is another thing that I think I would really like to see the Libertarian Party stand up for, because I think it could do a really good job. Yeah. I mean, but, you know, Libertarians often will say, you know, are very opposed to borders. You know, and I'm not saying I'm opposed to having a border. I think you need some kind of protection in place. But I think there's a, there's a middle ground here that uh that has been ignored too long trying to make people care is tough and because it's so polarized and extreme like you were saying whether you're showing gangsters uh coming over and, and potential threats to just die everybody let somebody in the border or the extreme opposite it inevitably makes it inevitably divides people's opinions further and makes them firmer in their own stance to see such almost like extreme parody or like that extreme ridiculous nature of the, the, the what's being presented on the opposite end. There's not a lot of middle ground being presented there. So it's hard for people to budge on where they stand because it's like you're going from one extreme to the other. You think that's your only option. Um, something that would be uh, fun, maybe, maybe this week would be, I know you kind of just hit one pretty good there, but if you had to write a protest song, what would your, like, what would it be about? And what would you kind of put into it? Like, not maybe not literal lyrics, but like, if you had to write a protest song, what would be, yeah, it's something I kind of want to think about maybe this week. If I wrote a protest song, what would I want it to be about? What would I want to stand up for? What 
points, like what talking points could you bring to the table? What sort of things do you think you could present in a way that, that would unify people, would speak to a, a, you know, a larger volume and, and is a very important cause? Uh, I don't know if that's something that you'd be interested in thinking over, but I wouldn't mind circling back to that a little bit, or at least in my own head, I'd like to think on that. Yeah, I, I actually, so I wrote a, um, a, a, a verse to a song last year. It was very much like a anti-MAGA song, um, but that's over. So I'd have to write something new. Right. Um, you know, I don't know. I have to think about it, man, because there's so much stuff to rail against, you know, there's I know. So much stuff to rail against. you know, man, you could write dozens of songs if you made them yeah. individual topics. Earth day just happened. So I initially gravitated towards like earth conscious uh, sort of things in my head. Just thinking about like, I saw a lot of stuff on plastic. I saw a lot of stuff on, you know, um, just being more conscious of, the earth and the environment. And that's another one that it's so polarizing because it just seems like people, if you are conscious of it, you almost have to be a nut job about it. <laughs> well, it's so funny you bring this up. So I wrote an article <coughs> on Friday when I was talking about um, being both a weed smoker and tree hugger and how 420 and 422 were really shitty days for me because those are the days that I get hit up from journalists and social media people asking for quotes. And I'm just, they're like, what did you do for, you know, 420? Like this fucking same thing I did in 419. Like yeah. I'm still, I'm still working, man. You know, like I don't take the day off to get high. I wish I could. I wish I could take all <laughs> yeah. the high, but that's not an option. Or Earth Day, like, you know, what are you doing? Same thing I do every day. I work, you know, it's not that I have anything against these holidays, it's um, whatever you're supposed to call them. But I think they're sometimes more like promotional items. You know what I mean? Instead of like, there's very little substance. I'm trying to pull this thing up here. I said um, uh, about Earth Day. Oh, I was talking about how like celebrities always use Earth Day. Like that's when they speak up about things. And to me, like, not this is generally speaking, because some celebrities are really good about this, but a lot are like completely disassociated from the real world. Do you know who Kate Walsh is, the actor? Oh, I don't think so. She's been in a bunch of TV shows. She's a really good actor, um, really pretty. I think just by saying really pretty just made me a, um, uh, I'm not woke. I Hit the dump woke. button. No, yeah, we and need a dump button. <laughs> but she posted this tweet. It says, um, this Earth Day, I'm joining Nat Geo and sharing one of the places on the planet that matters most to me. Little Salmon Bay at... Uh, I can't something island in Western Australia. Celebrate your love for the planet too by sharing a spot you care about. And there's a picture of her looking hot as hell on a bikini in this beautiful beach. Mm. Now I'm sure her intentions are honorable, but it's like that just confirms that few people who have the means to instigate action on climate change and other environmental issues aren't doing it. You know, yeah. there's a thing I was, I, I posted on here. I said the same day, here's great. This is, this is fucking, this is su such a, um, what do you call it? Uh, it? It's just the perfect timing here. She put that post out the same day a report came out 
that said more than 40% of US citizens still breathe polluted, polluted air and people of color are 61% more likely to be affected. I'm, and I said, I'm willing to bet that most of these folks don't have the means to take selfies on a pristine beach on another continent. <laughs> I mean, I'm glad that you're hot and you can go to Australia and be on a beach, but it's like, dude, like there's a lot of people that they're suffering. Like they're not gonna, what are they gonna take a picture of? Oh, this is my favorite place. Fucking smog everywhere, you know what I mean? They, they built a fucking uh, processing plant in my community. Why? Because they're fucking poor and black and no one's gonna stop them. You know, it's like, yeah. come on, mm. man. You know, it's, it, it's, it's unfortunate because, I do, again, I don't think their intentions are dishonorable. I think they really wanna try to, to, do, to, to make a point. But like, I, I want to have a job where I like, I talk to every celebrity that's interested in environmentalism, and I'm gonna be like, this is what you need to do. Okay, first of all, don't post shit like that because that's fucking annoying, and that's like a slap in the face that people that are working hard to to fix the climate change problem. It's like second, it's like I'm sure you live in a fucking mansion. There's two people probably in your house, so you're wasting a lot of room and energy. Where's your electric car? Where are your solar panels? Where are you getting your food from a local regenerative farm? Or are you just going to Whole Foods because you think it's okay to do that? It's like fucking Bingo. step up. If you're really gonna do something, fucking step up. I don't care if you whatever your decision is. If you if you don't give a fuck about the planet, you want to treat it like a toilet. All right, fine. That's your decision. Or or maybe you do care about it and you want to tell the world to celebrate Earth Day. But fucking do something. You know what I mean? Like do something real. You're a fucking millionaire. You could do a lot of good. You have the means to oh, do it. I'm so hot. Look at my titties. I'm on the beach. I'm so hot. This is my favorite place. Take a picture. Fuck you. You know what I mean? You don't even have to do it. You can make a phone call. You can literally pay somebody to be like, hey, you know what? You're pretty conscious to all this stuff. I'm just going to pay you to do things that you think are, are a bit green when it comes to my energy and efficiency and, mm -hmm. and having a positive effect. Like, you don't even have to have any conscious energy put towards it. No effort. You just pay somebody to do it because you have those means and you don't do it. You don't even need to do your own research. You don't need to call the solar panel guy. You should have a number two that can, that can do the legwork for you. And there it's done. If you're not willing to do it and you have those sort of means, how much do you really care? And you know, the same amount of effort you put into making this post you could literally just have one phone conversation with somebody who would gladly, gladly make some, make some money uh, crossing those T's and dotting those I's for you, but you're not willing to do it. So I don't know if anyone ever had that idea. If everyone you know, knew like a, a famous manager manages all these celebrities, maybe look, your, 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 your client is a fucking idiot when it comes to this stuff. Let me help. Let yeah. me help that person, you know, I mean, from a standpoint of you know, being, um, a, is there a return on that investment? Probably not because nothing's going to happen to her. No, I mean, right. maybe I called her out. Maybe a couple people call her out. It's not going to keep her from getting a job, you know? So I guess there's no real good ROI on that. Yeah, no, you're right. It's just easier to just send a little bit of money to one charity every so often and, and make your little post to make people happy. And, and that, that's it. You know, you did your job. And that money, listen, that money goes a long way. I think that's right. great when they, when they donate money. Um, and I think it's important. I just, when you have that kind of reach, when you have millions of followers, how cool would it would have been for her to write a, a small article on 
why you should if you the next time you go to buy a car if you can afford it buy an electric car or yeah where do you get your food if you have the means to go to a farm where they practice organic regenerative agriculture which is incredibly good for the environment do that there are so many things that you can do even even if you have even if you're fucking broke as fuck and you got nothing there are still things you can do as simple as like you know um you know, just walking to the store that's a mile away instead of driving or taking the bus. You know, it's like, it's good for you getting exercise, right? And it's also mm-hmm. good because you're not contributing to more exhaust in there. I mean, there's so many fucking things you can do. And it's easy for me to say because yeah. I'm not broke, but I was broke. I was broke as fuck, you know? Like, I was, like, homeless. Literally, I was homeless. I lived in a fucking van. Like, that was my home, a van. You know, mm-hmm. when I came home from tour, I would crash at our manager's house. Sometimes I crashed my parents' house, like, if, you know, but that was like not really an option for me for the most part, like long term. You know, I dated girls that were nice enough to let me stay, you know, crash with them. Yeah. Was the manager yeah. Derek? Was the man? I, yeah. I, I'll tell you a story yeah. about him one time, but it doesn't, yeah. Keep that going. was great. I used to work, <laughs> so listen, while I was on the road, um, his wife was looking for, looking for a uh, house cleaner. And I, was, and I heard him, I heard him. I'm like, I'll fucking do it. And they paid me 60 bucks. I think it was like every week and I would clean their house for 60 bucks. <laughs> and that's how I made money when I was off the road, you know, and he would let me crash there too. I didn't do it a lot. I mean, I, I worked, I, I did the house cleaning quite a bit. Um, yeah. I didn't stay there a lot, but enough times that, I don't know, I guess my point is, um, if you really give a shit, you'll figure out a way to make it happen. Yeah, you just you do something, you take a bag with you when you walk your dog and you pick up trash and put it in. I mean, there's always something you can do. Yeah. Like there's there's something that that even people who don't can't afford to make a difference can. It, it's tough. It's hard to you not everyone can fight every fight. And that's the problem with people yeah. who strongly fight fights. Like if uh black rights is your thing and and you want to project that it should be everyone's top priority to use that. Like, I'm all about this cause, but we all have our own causes. We have all have our own thing. So I just, yeah, it's not as easy as just everybody prioritizing green energy or whatever, but in a way, especially when you have the means it, it, I think maybe it should be, I need to circle or go ahead. Do you, you say what you're saying? If that's your thing, if that's what you're leaning on, you know what I mean? Like Mm -hmm. Al Gore is leaning on climate change. The motherfucker. Oh, that's the worst. The worst. No, I was going to say that before we are done, I need to circle back to this thing I forgot to to say earlier when I said that I was going to say the story about the cop. And before we we did the show, I told you I had a funny story about our name, kind of libertarian. So, and then this actually ties in really well today. Uh, So this morning I was at the gym and there's a police officer that trains at the gym. And we were talking about like, um, I forget how it got brought up originally, but we were talking about the knee on the throat thing. And uh, then he was talking about like um, war on drug type stuff and was saying like, he just can't wait until like stuff like pots, legal, all this. They don't want you to, he was saying how like, if he was to see somebody and let's say they're smoking a blunt that they want him to then search the car and then file the paper and file the paperwork, send the blunt in to go get, uh, tested and looked at this. And he was just basically talking about all the annoying steps that, that you're supposed to do. And they're not even going to wind up pressing charges anyway. And he's like, he just can't wait till all this bullshit is over with. And he was describing his own views and he was saying how 
you know, look, he's a pretty, he's about as, he said he's, the way he described it was he's about as leftist as a cop pretty much can be as far as like comparing himself at least to his peers. And then he started going, uh, talking about some other things. And he mentioned that he, he goes, but I guess I'm kind of libertarian. He organically, and this is, it gets even crazier. I didn't even set this up to the craziest of extent. So the conversation was like, it got into that, but he actually asked me about a podcast that I do and asked me the name because I, on, on the other podcasts I do, I interviewed the owner of the gym, Method uh, MMA. So he asked me about that podcast. And then like two minutes later, it trailed into this other avenue where he brought up organically the name of this podcast after asking me about the name of the other podcast. As I'm bringing up Lost in the Deep End, the other podcast, he says that and, and he goes, I guess I'm kind of libertarian. And I showed it him the, uh, the, the podcast page. I said, you're not going to believe it. Look at this other podcast I have hosted on this site. Read the title. And he saw kind of libertarian and he was just like, you know, but I was like, I don't think you realize how crazy of a coincidence that was. And he was going, he actually touched on something that we discussed on here is like, defining what unifies uh, libertarians. And, and he basically talked about that, the principle of there's no such thing as a, I guess it was an, I don't know if violent was the word he used, but a nonviolent crime or a non, whatever, like the, the types of ways you look at laws and uh, there needs a victimless uh, crime, I guess is the, the saying. There, not that there's no such thing, but whatever, that, that sort of principle he brought up as like a unifying principle of, of libertarianism, and uh, which was funny that he, the first thing he did was like try to kind of define it. And he said it in a way where you could tell that he knew libertarian wasn't the easiest to define. So it was like so very, funny. very funny. Yeah. It's funny, you know, and I was, I was, I'm still trying to explain this to people, like when they say, well, what does that mean? And I'm like, I'm not really sure. We're still trying to figure it out. But the idea is like when we first started talking about it, it's kind of like we we're both on the same page on a lot of libertarian principles, but we're still trying to figure out like what defines libertarian because there just seems to be so many ways to, to define it. So I think what we're doing is just trying to take the best parts of it, which I think is really all of it in principle um, and showing how it, it really should appeal to all people who want peace and prosperity and personal sovereignty and human rights, like all these things that should be important to everybody. Um, mm -hmm. but, but when you talk to somebody about it, like, it's like, man, I, 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 gotta, I need to come up with like two or three sentences that I can just rattle off the top of my head, like, this is what it means. Yeah. I think we'll figure it out. And I think that's part of the fun of it, the journey of it, like trying to figure out, like, what does it mean? The whole, yeah. the whole idea that we came up with this was because we weren't really sure what do we call it. And we're leaning on a lot of libertarian stuff. So there's like a libertarian message in it. But we know that there are people who say they're libertarians that would likely disagree with us on some of these things. You know, right. And I think that we would look at it and say, well, if we look at the foundation of what libertarian is, libertarian, libertarianism is, there should be no question. Right. So, and yeah. Um, and plus the willingness to self-critique, like there is a, a running narrative on maybe the error or whether it's hypocrisy or shortcomings of 
popular libertarian talking points and views that kind of is a juxtaposition from uh, mainstream or, or if any of it's mainstream, um, more and more common libertarian views or larger platform libertarian views. So yeah, it, I, I definitely play a factor into why kind of works as well. You know, um, it, it's that, that, that helps where I'm like, I definitely typically lean in that direction though, for sure. Uh, if I had to pick somebody who's be my person, I probably almost always relate to and identify the most with whoever the libertarian candidate of something is though. So. Hmm. I've definitely been down that road. Um, sadly, I've also interviewed a number of libertarian candidates for various things. Um, and oftentimes when you press them for specifics, they're like the other side, they like, they got no specifics. Yeah. yeah I, I want to tackle the, the, the drug war. Well, I'm, I'm anti-drug war. Okay. So how do we fix it? Well, they just, all, you know, they'll, they'll tell you what the problem is just in different words. But I know what the fucking problem is. How do we fix it? You know, using libertarian principles. And that's always an interesting conversation to have. We could, we'll save for another day, but um, yeah. at some point we will have a, um, when, when there's an election coming up, we will definitely have some libertarian candidates on here. And, uh -huh. and we'll, like, I got no problem. You know, I, I lean libertarian. I typically, you know, like the libertarian um, you know, uh, movement in terms of how, it, how we can use it to, to, to change a lot of the problem or fix a lot of the problems we have in this country. Um, but I've got no problem on, on pressing these guys either because it's one thing to say, yeah, I agree with you. The war on drugs is a bad, is a bad thing. But if you keep telling me that and you don't tell me how you want to fix it, well, then you are of no use. You're zero use. And until, exactly. And that's another reason I think libertarians aren't taken seriously is because oftentimes when pressed, they get, you know, I should say oftentimes, just a few times that I've seen times that I've interviewed people three times. So maybe what I'm saying is completely irrelevant. I've only interviewed, interviewed three libertarian candidates. Uh, see, I can call myself out. 66% of the people I've interviewed. No, yeah. <laughs> I'm going to leave it at that. <laughs> All right, man. Well, this was a great episode as usual. Um, uh -huh. We will be having some guests on soon. Amar, it's already put it together. Um, uh, probably in the next couple of weeks, we'll have our first, and um, I will uh, talk more about that probably next week um, once I have that confirmed. Um, Sweet. But until then, Mike, it was great. Great having mm -hmm. this podcast with you today. Um, I'm sorry you didn't get to see Jake Paul try to stare down Daniel Cormier, which is like. I'm going to get on that on Instagram. I'm going to hop on Instagram and find that clip. Dude. We just, just the still of it. The video is there. You can't really hear what they're saying, but just the still of it, just looking at it, it's like <laughs> just looking at Jake Paul's face, he's not scared and he should be. And it's, it's just looking at it, man. I just looked at it for a couple of minutes, like 30 seconds, just standing. I'm like, wow, like he really doesn't understand like what's happening here. Like he's standing Ugh. in front of a fucking, you know, a fucking truck. He's standing in front of a truck, daring that truck to run him over. Yeah, he, he needs to not get his ass beat because he literally deserves to get his ass beat over that, but he just needs to taste it because he thinks he's a fighter and he needs to get his ass beat. Yeah. That's probably, oh, yeah. 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 Well, maybe you'll be the guy to do it. Oh, that would be amazing. 
Would you love that? <laughs> yeah, I would definitely. That would be such an opportunity. Yeah, I think everybody who's remotely in that scene uh, or, or something is like wishing they were the person that gets to do it. Yeah. Hell yeah. Well, he made it. Listen, dude's fucking, he's got the strong hustle, man. Because like you said, everybody wants to do it. Everyone. Everybody wants to take a shot at him. So he's just got to be like, cool. How, you know, he's got to ask himself two questions. A, do I want to fight someone that I can probably beat and just continue to be that guy? Or do I want to take on someone who really give me a run for my money and risk getting my face smashed in, but the money will still come in? I bet yeah. he would take, I, I bet he would, he leans towards the, the former, but would go to, with the latter if the money was right. I think the, the latter would be, I think the latter would be probably Nick Diaz. Cause like there's respect to lose and do a gangster. Like you don't mind losing to a guy who's like hard and tough in the way a yeah. Diaz brother is. And uh, it just makes sense to me. And uh, if not, it would maybe be some like, like uh, older, like really good box. Like Mike Tyson wouldn't work because Mike Tyson is training him in ways, but, but um, Mike Tyson, like I thought of that, like imagine if he fought somebody like that who tried teaching him what, cause like there was just Mike Tyson just fought again, yeah. but I don't know who's out there. Who Dude, knows who Mike will fight. Tyson, even if Mike Tyson was completely out of shape. He'd kill him. Wasn't training at all. It would still be a fucking bloodbath. He'd kill him, dude. It would be in over his head. I mean, think about the, the, the hits that Tyson took from Holyfield. The, and, and, I mean, he took them. You know, he took those punches. You know, so, like, there's nothing Jake Paul could bring to put Tyson down. And Tyson, he could go 20% and fucking just shake his brain so bad. It yeah. would be kind of sad. It would be. It would it be. Would be. Uh, it would be kind of sad. Yeah. Well, on that note. <laughs> uh -huh. Cool. All right, buddy. We'll talk next week. Till next time. Yeah. Be safe. Be free. Yes. All right. Sweet. That was good, man. I'm going to yep. look back at the other ones. I wasn't real pleased with last week's. I think there were a lot of, like, lulls in it. Um, and I don't feel like I was really in my game, being in my house. I got for my kids. So I'm going to look at it again. Um, I don't know what you think about it, but um, I think it was, I thought it was good. Um, I, I get what you're saying, but I think it was definitely a good, good episode. Um, mm -hmm. I listened back to it uh, about like probably heard about half of it when I put it back on, I had it on in the background and was kind of like in and out of listening. So I, I didn't get uh, to, but, uh, but I, I, I thought it was uh, good. Um, okay. I'll give so. it another listen yeah um, and then we'll do that and so the woman i was telling you about who's the porn star her name is april flores and she agreed to do it but she can't do it until the 8th um which cool. is saturday or sunday um and she wants to do it at five o'clock our time okay i don't know if that works okay i i i'll i'll see if i can um i i think you can, i can let me know and we'll find a better time I asked her if she could do two o'clock on Sunday and she, she couldn't do it then. Okay. Uh, she's actually on the road right now. So um, that's really the only reason she couldn't do it right now. Cause she said she wanted to do it from her house um, and wanted time. Cause I talked about, we were talking about sex work and um, some of the issues involved with that. And she said she wanted to, you know, she knows her shit, um, but she wanted to have like data in front of her. So she right. talks about it. She could talk about it intelligently, which I think she could do anyway. Um, 
So I still would like her to be first. Cool. And then, yeah, we'll see where it goes from there. Awesome. Works right, for brother. me. Cool. Good talking to you. Have a good week, man. And hopefully I'll get to that stuff this week. It's all good. Yeah. yeah. Not- it's not a big deal. Sounds good. Well, I, I mean, I want to get it done because, like, we've done five episodes now, and I want to get them out there, you know. And I've yeah. had a few people want to see them, and I'm like, ah, oh, wait, you know, we're not ready yet, so. Um, yeah. Well, I have the uh, – I mean, they're technically on podcast stream. Like, you can listen to the audio only now. Um, I don't have episode descriptions up. But to be honest, I don't know how important it is to go back and give descriptions of old episodes. It might just be something we should do going on and moving on in the future more than anything. It's like mm-hmm. as we release them, be more detailed. Have, it's hard to go back and like – try to do that back. I mean, you can do like talking points. You can see what we open with and we can like maybe put a couple sentences or whatever. Yeah. Oh, cool. Yeah. Like that one we did about Nazis. It was like Nazis right. and porn. It would be like Nazis and porn, you know? Exactly. Like kind of, I wasn't going to like get really in, in depth in it. And then I'll take a look at that bio you did. Um, I, I, I honestly haven't looked. I like took a quick glance at it cool. and then I said, I'll get back to it. And I got fucking. Yeah, and the 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 little logo I made, I th- it definitely looks better than the other one. I put like uh, this, uh, um, whatever you call it, not I guess free rights or whatever. I found this like little thing where there's like like some fists up in the background, and there's like a little thing of like a porcupine in the corner, but it doesn't really look like a porcupine where it's at. It just kind of looks like kind of like sketchy stuff going on, but. Um, we can always get like uh, something better going on there, but it definitely looks good enough. Like the thumbnail is so tiny anyway. So, uh, but if you pull up the, uh, the, the main or I'll send you, if I, I think I sent the link where it's like the RSS of the site. So, so when you bring it up, it's like all the episodes uh, there, what the bio looks like, all that. It would, yeah, it'll be easy. It'll only take you a second probably to browse through it real quick. Okay. Cool. Cool. Awesome. I'm going to see you in a few minutes. Awesome. Bye, brother. See you. See you.